welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Proverbs chapter 13. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put off. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores destruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. This is the word of the Lord. I think my first question I would ask the kids today would be in regards to repetition. Why is so much of Proverbs repetition? Why is Solomon repeating himself over and over again? The continued emphasis on some of the same topics about being truthful, about seeking wisdom, about learning rather than remaining in ignorance um, instead of being lazy, but hardworking is good. Uh, All these things that we see again and again. The purpose of repetition is for learning. Proverbs, a a collection of wisdom, a collection of wise sayings, is to be learned. So if you're reading it again and again, you're hearing it again and again, it's on your lips. Well, it's in your ears, in your mind, on your lips, on your heart. Eventually it just finally sticks. It becomes part of, of who you are and what you know. That seems to be the the intent behind the push with the repetition. So, a wise son hears his father's instruction. We have seen that maybe more than any other uh, such 
phrase in the book so far. It's been repeated numerous times. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke, so he's not willing to learn. Rather, he mocks it. He makes fun of learning. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good. So he is speaking, right? His, his mouth is committing good deeds rather than tearing down, rather than harming. And that's building himself up. It's building his community up. And he's able to, to go about working and living in his community. He has a good reputation. The desire for the treacherous, however, is for violence. So instead of seeking what is good, they just seek harm. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, uh, opposite of opening wide our lips and coming to ruin. So, you know, if we're careful with what we say, we don't just say whatever first pops into our head. It helps prevent us from saying stupid things. Stupid things that would hurt our reputation, that would hurt others. We've all thought them. We're all sinners. We have sinful thoughts. The wise man can discern what needs to be said. And it's not always positive, right? Sometimes we need to speak words that are judging. Sometimes we need to speak reproof and rebuke and correction. But a wise man knows when it's good to speak. And a fool just speaks whenever he thinks he wants to. There's much wisdom in knowing when to be silent. Soul of the sluggard versus the soul of the diligent in verse 4. Again, laziness, hardworking nature here. The hardworking is supplied while the sluggard is getting nothing. But notice that they're both soul, not body. That's a distinction worth pointing out. The soul gets nothing, the soul is richly supplied. This gets it more than just bodily life. It gets it more than earthly wisdom. This connects also to our faith. That to be lazy in regards to our faith and in, in regards to loving our neighbor ends in destruction. Whereas to be diligent, that is to hear our Father's instruction, including capital F, Father, that is our whole Heavenly Father, hearing his word and going about and loving our neighbor, these are good things that, that build up and encourage our faith. Righteous hates falsehood. It's true. The, the one who lives in Christ, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So we want to be of the truth. Whereas John 8 very clearly says that the devil is the father of all lies. So we don't want to be connected to lies. Whereas the wicked bring shame and disgrace. So rather than Loving what is good and true, they seek others. They seek other things. Righteousness guards the way of the blameless. Oh, a tough phrase, right? Righteousness and blameless. I am neither, neither righteous nor blameless in terms of my sin. And yet Jesus loves me and has redeemed me, and I am righteous because he is righteous and he has declared me to be righteous. It's not that my sin is gone. I'm still a sinner, saint and sinner right now, as are you but we are covered in the blood of Christ. And it plays out much the same with the blameless way. I'm not blameless in how I walk, but the Lord has made me blameless as he's taken my sins away. So as we live in Christ, as we dwell in Christ, he guards us, he protects us, and ultimately shepherds us home to paradise, whereas sin overthrows the wicked, just as God warned Cain back in Genesis chapter 4. 
One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. The other pretends to be poor, has great wealth. Um, We saw this in the chapter before. Conversation around humility. So many in the world that are actually millionaires in our own culture today, you wouldn't know it by looking at them. But the people that you look at that you think must be rich, they often live empty lives because they're spending so much time, energy, and money trying to put forth that show. And on the inside, they're just miserable from it. So chasing after stuff, their stuff has them. Stuff is a tool that has been given to us to use for the good of our neighbor. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth. But a poor man hears no threat. So a man's life ransomed. Wealth, it's like he's held hostage by his money, by his stuff. Similar to what we were just saying. In contrast, the poor man, no problem in that regard. Because he doesn't have any wealth to hold him hostage. Now that said, oftentimes the poor, as much as the rich, end up making an idol out of money. The rich have it, and they idolize it. The poor don't have it, and they idolize it. They think their life will be better if they had some. So it goes both ways. Notice in verse 9, the light of the righteous rejoices, the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Light, lamp, same kind of an idea. might be best to take this as life. right? So the, the righteous rejoices that they have life in Christ and will always, whereas the lamp of the wicked, the life of the wicked, will be snuffed out, will be put away. They'll be destroyed. By insolence comes nothing but strife, and that's the world's way, is to seek after strife and division and hatred. Those who take advice, though, is wisdom. So, contrast, foolishness and wisdom again. Verse 11, wealth gained hastily dwindles, but whoever gathers, gathers little by little increases it. The one who gathers little by little slowly over time is learning how to manage that wealth. They're learning how to manage what God has entrusted to them. Whereas the one who just gets a a windfall quickly and easily, they haven't had the difficult task of discipline to learn how to deal with their resources. And so instead, they no longer know what to do with them. Well, they never knew what to do with them. And so they squander them. Most, the majority of Americans that hit the lottery win big, and also of our professional athletes, Most of them end up in bankruptcy. They never learned how to manage it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. This is meant to be a very straightforward worldly saying that you have your hopes set on something and it doesn't come, or at least it hasn't come yet, and you kind of get down about it. Whereas if you have your hope and desire set on something and it happens, well, that makes you excited. It gives you Uh, the hope of going on for another thing, another goal uh, in the time to come. So our hope as Christians ultimately is in Jesus Christ. And it is a living hope, but at the same time, it does often feel deferred, like we're waiting for it. Yet when it comes, when he comes, when he returns, he is the tree of life. So we can connect this to Christ here. Whoever despises the word of God brings destruction on himself. If you despise the word, you're rejecting the word, you're rejecting the forgiveness that Christ gives. That indeed brings destruction. Whereas if you revere, 
the commandment, you are rewarded. Those who are faithful, those who trust in Christ, as we've been talking about here with faith, the reward is paradise. The reward is getting to be with Christ, with the Lord forever. Teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Why? Well, what are they teaching you? They're teaching you about, again, faith, trust in the Lord. And that teaching helps us to turn away from the snares of death, that is, from the sins and the things of this world that seek to destroy us rather than build us up. Good sense wins favor, so that's before God and men, really, that if we are wise, if we are discerning, if we do what is good to do, that the people in the world, generally speaking, would like us, at least our fellow Christians would, and we would also have the Lord's favor because we're his child and, and we're doing what he's given us to do. We're in him. We're in Christ. Christ prepared the good works for us that we would do them. Ephesians 2.10 But the way of the treacherous leads to ruin. That's not too hard to see. Both in the world, as the world sees their evil and doesn't want anything more to do with them, but also in terms of judgment. Sin leads to hell. Prudent men act with knowledge. Fool flaunts folly. Pretty straightforward in terms of the, the continued contrast of wisdom and foolishness in the book. If you're wise, you live your life accordingly. It shows in your deeds. It shows in your actions. Whereas the fool he just goes about doing whatever he wants. Wicked messenger falls into trouble. So even though he may have delivered the message, he does other things that aren't good, gets into trouble with the, the recipient or with the one who first sent him or in the community where he's gone, he can get in trouble in all kinds of ways. The faithful envoy, however, brings healing. At this point, we're caused to question what it is that the message is. As Christians, that's pretty easy. What message have we been given to share? That's a good question for your kids to think about. The gospel. How does the gospel bring healing? That's another good question to ask your kids. The gospel brings healing because it is the message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died on the cross, bleeding and dying to forgive our sins. If I'm preaching the word of God to my neighbor, if I'm delivering the message, the good news of Christ and him crucified, it brings healing should the Spirit work faith and repentance in the heart of that person. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instructions, so he doesn't, he doesn't break that cycle of poverty, doesn't break out of that, but stays in it because he doesn't want to learn. But the one who heeds reproof, who's willing to accept correction, well, he's honored. His lot improves. That's a fairly worldly statement. But there's a lot of worldly wisdom in the book, for sure. Desire filled is sweet to the soul. That's very similar to verse 12, really. But to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. And that works in two ways. So to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. A fool won't want to turn away from their evil. The idea of turning away from their evil will be foolish to them. An abomination. Why would I want to stop doing this? I love this thing. Whatever it is, think of all the sins that the world loves today, and there are many of them. But there's also the idea uh, that it's an abomination to them when others turn away from evil. Your friends, right? why would you stop? Why don't you want to do this anymore? It doesn't make sense to them. 
Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So if you spend your time with those who are wise, and we would say specifically here, wise in faith, right? Who are discerning, who know the Lord, then you're going to grow in your faith as well. You will be edified, you'll be built up. You'll become wise so that you then can share that with others. Whereas if you spend your time in the company of fools, you're going to suffer harm in two ways. Like the hanging out with the wise will make you wise, so spending time with the fool, being a companion to the fool, I should correct myself there, will make you into a fool. That harms you because you lose that faith in Christ. But also, you're going to suffer harm directly from the fool because they are sinners and they're going to sin against you. They're going to harm you in various ways. Disaster pursues sinners, ultimately ending in death and destruction and hell. The righteous are rewarded with good. Again, paradise, life, salvation in Christ for those who believe. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Leaving an inheritance to his children's children. So his grandchild, his grandson. This is the picture of, of leaving a legacy. Using the stuff that you have in this life. Again, Luke 16, to love your neighbor. But we prepare, though, in two ways. We live this life as though Christ is coming back today. So we are, in a way, recklessly generous with the things that we have today, in the present, right now. Because we don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. Christ could come back tonight, and if he does, I want to have given everything I can to try to share the gospel with others, and so love them with the stuff you have. However, at the same time, we also know Christ may not come back today. He may come back in a couple weeks, for example. So we want to have that other foot in the future making plans to serve our neighbor then. Because if Christ doesn't come back today, your neighbor needs to be served tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that, until Christ does return. So the picture of should I save for retirement is one that I know a lot of Christians wrestle with. Here's a text that would encourage you to do so. Not really for yourself, though. You're not just building up a nest egg so that you can sit on it and enjoy it. You're building up a nest egg so that what you're doing right now, your, your children after you, and even their children after you, can continue to do. Right, I look at the world around us right now. I look at our culture and the state of our culture, and I look at how hamstrung, ham-tied people feel like they are. They're in debt up to their eyeballs because of college loans. They're in debt up to their eyeballs because the housing market has gone crazy. They have to. They feel like both parents have to work, and so the kids are then escorted off to daycare, which costs thousands of dollars a year and then the second income is taxed anyway so the government's taking an extra cut our kids don't know their parents families don't have time together they don't have the opportunity to serve their neighbor they don't have the money to serve their neighbor all of these things are coming together whereas if you have a decent financial position you don't have those same concerns you have the freedom to be a family to teach your children about christ to to have them in your care as someone who genuinely wants to see them know Jesus. You have the ability to be generous and give money and time to your neighbors to help them in their needs. Set up your children in the same way. 
That's kind of the picture here, to give them the opportunity to live the way that you have been able to get to. If you fought to get to that point in the world's ways, you've figured out how to manage money and so forth, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to set up others to live in such a way too so that they can be generous. And if you've taught them the faith, right, if you've passed down that faith, they get to do that. If you didn't pass down the faith, they're just going to be a fool and they're going to squander it all and it will only hurt them even further. So passing on the faith is of of great importance here. All right. The sinner's wealth laid up for the righteous, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, Jesus says this, that the one who hid it, buried it in the ground, it's taken from him, it's given to the one who had ten. So the ones who are faithful will be given more to manage, whereas the ones who were not faithful in what they were given to manage, it'll be taken from them. They'll have nothing. They'll lose even what they had in this world. They'll lose even their stuff. Fallow ground, that is the inactive ground not being used, of the poor would yield much food, but instead it's swept away by injustice. So the poor can't use the land that they have. So a cause for helping your neighbor here. Discipline, in verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him, loves his son, is diligent to discipline him. A family conversation perhaps here. How does our worldview discipline today? There are some places where it's, I don't know if it's technically illegal, but you can get in trouble in some places for even spanking your child. Like that kind of physical discipline is is certainly frowned upon across our culture. But I think even to the point where you could get in trouble for it in some places. And this isn't saying use a rod to beat your child senseless, but discipline, guidance, they can't just do whatever their wicked heart wants to do all the time. That has to be curbed, and you have to find ways to do that. If you care about them, if you don't want them to just grow up to be a a person who despises God and the things of their neighbor. Then lastly, verse 25, a contrast of the one who works and the one who is lazy, um, a contrast of the righteous and the evil, all in one, that the righteous has enough, whereas the wicked always wants. That's a lesson in contentment that we have in our Lord, that we trust in him, and we know he provides, we know he cares for us. And so we will, we will be content with food and clothing, as the Apostle Paul says.